Hi, it's Mike Morse and Kevin Dietz. Good afternoon, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How are you holding up? I'm holding up great. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic Home Edition. Today we have Joel Kurth, who has been in journalism for two decades. His wife works for the Detroit News. He did for many, many years. Now he's working for BridgeMI.com, which is an online magazine doing some amazing work. So let's welcome Joel to the program. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse and Detroit's Top 30. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. Things up a little bit every year. Hey, great to be here. Thanks so much. It's our pleasure, Joel. I, uh, you know, you're you're the first uh, newspaper guy we've had on the podcast. We've done about 35, 36 episodes. So I'm excited to talk to you uh, about the pandemic. And there's some, you know, journalism has been kind of beaten up over the last almost four years and I want to get your perspective on that and, and lots of other things. So let's, let's talk about uh, what's going on at the Detroit news these days and, and how are you guys holding up over there? Well, just to be clear, I left the Detroit news three years ago. I'm a managing editor of bridge magazine right now. And um, got it. Bridge is is great. Uh, we are nonprofit. Uh, we're, uh, funded through sort of an NPR model uh, in the last four years have been great to us. Um, my wife works at the Detroit News. I still have a lot of friends at the News and the Free Press, and they are, you know, it's really struggling with a lot of other outlets uh, because of the decimation of uh, business ads during the uh, during the pandemic here. People are pulling off their ads and very few oh, yeah. advertisers. Free press has got layoffs. Uh, everyone's got a, a, a furlough coming up, a one one week furlough once a once a month for the next three months. Um, smaller papers are really suffering. They rely on classifieds. And as you know, this just sort of exacerbates an existing trend that's been going on for, you know, about about 20 years with newspapers. And there's a lot of fear that this could sort of be a, a death now to a lot of papers when at a time when oddly enough with the internet that uh, re readership is higher than ever uh, because there's a lot of eyeballs on these stories and as the pandemic has, has showed we really are relying on this information more than ever there's just has not been a a great business model to follow the the uh, transition from print to um online news and at bridge at Bridge, you pretty much are fully focused on COVID-19 now. It seems like the stories you guys are putting out are, uh, are, are, are really focused in on it. Well, yeah, it's a pretty big story right now. Okay. <laughs> it, we are, um, it, yeah, since March, basically, it's been the only story we've written about. And there's, there's never been a shortage so far. Bridge usually is public policy focused. We're focused on uh, Lansing, the environment, health business and uh, basically anything that uh, focuses on, on how laws impact people's lives. But, um, you know, COVID-19 has just been a seismic change in, in how obviously we all operate. I mean, look at us now. We're, we're, we're meeting, uh, you know, on, on our, in our offices talking about this. So it seems like it's the, it's the most important story that's out there. And, you know, I've, honestly, I think even we're seeing cases fall right now, but this is going to change how people live for the foreseeable future, if not for several years. I mean, we're starting to talk about how, how do we go back to normal after this? 
Well, yeah. we're not doing it right away because the stay-at-home order just got extended. What? 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 How is that going to impact uh, the state and what we're doing? What we're seeing? There's been a lot of concern, I think, especially out state because they're not seeing the types of cases, the t- caseload that we're seeing in, in Southeast Michigan. But um, I think what uh, what the big impacts are that you can't, no more hardware stores, no more non-essential travel, no more, you can't buy plants for your house. You can't go to your second house. You shouldn't, you can't go visit your mother unless you're bringing her food. So it's, um, it's a lot stricter. And I think the fear is among uh, Governor Whitmer and advocates of this proposal are that, is that um, the numbers are starting to go down a little bit in Michigan. So we've got four days in a row of declines. But what's, I think the fear is that, although you wouldn't know today, the weather's going to get nicer. People are going to go outside again. And there's a fear that we could see a, a sort of an echo effect and cases could go back up again. So I think she's getting tighter and tougher. But um, what we've seen, what's interesting is that Republicans are really coming after her this time. There's been a lot of uh, the two Republican leaders, Shirkin and and Chatfield, came out against the extension of the order. And I think that uh, we're starting to see a lot more dissent than we've seen in the past month of this as as it becomes clearer that the orders are going to be extended for a long time. And I think people, um, there's maybe a little, little bit of disconnect between, uh, especially statewide, we're not seeing a lot of cases north of Flint. And there's questions and discontent about why they feel like the order should apply to them when this is, uh, to their eyes, a Southeast Michigan problem. Well, all the big cities are, you know, are definitely, you know, getting hit harder than the rural areas. And I get how the rural areas don't want others coming to them. Like in Michigan yesterday, the governor said, you can't go to your second home unless you're feeding a pet, but who leaves a pet in the second home unless it's a goldfish or pet mouse or something. But right. So, so I get it that the people up in Charlevoix and Petoskey don't want us coming up and people in New Jersey on the Jersey shore and Atlantic city don't want the big city people coming over. And there's some evidence that people are actually bringing the disease from New York City to the Hamptons. Right. But can you really, I mean, so, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I, I, I on the one hand, I get it. Uh, on the other hand, if you could spread out a little bit and, and go to your home and not go to the stores and not go to, the, there's nothing to really do anyway. Why not have some more space? Right. But the, so the, but the fact that it is spreading is, is troubling. There's two curves, clearly. There's the curve of the virus, and then there's the curve of the economy, which is more of, you know, a straight-line dive. And I think that, um, you know, for the first month, most people were in agreement that we have to get ahead of this and um, that, you know, extreme measures are, t- are need to be taken with social distancing. But now that that's beginning to ebb a little bit, now we're starting to see a little more um, – a little more – discontent. And I also think that, you know, some of the executive orders people are saying um, there's a lot of inconsistencies. You can't buy some things that I think that people would encourage people to stay home. Buying paint for home renovations, can't do that anymore. Buying lawn equipment, can't do that anymore. Buying plants, you can't do that anymore. Um, Landscaping is considered a non-essential business. And yet you also cannot... um, uh, GFL, the, the waste hauler in Southeast Michigan, um, is saying they're not collecting yard clippings. So 
And yet you can buy a lottery ticket and yet you can go to the liquor store. So people are starting to see these inconsistencies, I think, and get a little more upset with them. She's yeah. Yeah. I've been watching on social media. You know, people are, are really up in arms about some of these changes and how she picks and chooses that the liquor stores, how let's talk about that for a second. How is the liquor store essential? Except for us alcoholics. Oh yeah, I don't know about you, but after this week, I think it's pretty damn essential. Well, look, if you like to drink a little bit here and there, I get it, right? So I do. I I, I have a. The thinking is that a lot of them sell uh, loaves of bread and salami, and you can get chips there, and so you can get food. The cynic in me says the uh, liquor license, liquor, and uh, a lot of people generates a lot of money for the state, and they've been uh, allowed to stay open because of that. Yeah, I feel like a uh, phone charger is more important to me than liquor. If my if my phone charger breaks, oh, and I yeah. can't go get one now. I, I'm out of business. <laughs> right. Well, this is. I mean, I think things have been pretty good so far. But if, if the internet ever goes down, we're all screwed. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be pandemonium on the streets. But yeah, there's would, there's been a lot of those, and people are starting to get frustrated. I think we saw we knew this was going to happen. It's been a month basically since this started. We're seeing a lot of encouraging signs. And people are starting to wonder, especially up north. I mean, Alpena doesn't have any cases. And I think that, you know, there's a feeling of, of operating out of the general, you know, you have to operate out of the general good. But especially up north, people are like, what, what are we doing? We can't, we're going to ruin the economy for a thousand deaths. And I, I get it. If we didn't do anything, it was going to be 10,000 deaths. But that's sort of the, the tensions that you're seeing, I think. I agree. And, I, and I'm concerned about the numbers. You know, I talked to a buddy yesterday on the phone who had it. He full on had it. He had the fever. He had the cough. He had the shortness of breath. Doctor told him to stay home. He didn't go to the hospital. He recovered. He was never tested. Hmm. His number, and he gave it to three or four of his staff members. They all got it. They all stayed home. Two of them were tested. But the numbers, I think, are way higher than any of us believe right now. And it's... That's a little scary uh, because I think we all have talked to people who think they've had it, know, know they had it, and were, and were not tested. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I think that, you know, I think they are definitely being undercounted. I think that the, the, the numbers are, are just a mess, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're not, there's not enough tests. The countries that have really gotten ahead of this, like South Korea, were able to test everyone. Um, there's a heartbreaking story out of uh, Macomb County last week where there was a guy who was uh, displaying all the symptoms. He couldn't get tested. And uh, he had a telemedicine incident with his uh, doctor. And the next day, his doctor said, yeah, I think you're getting better. And the next day he dropped dead. His father had the same symptoms. And um, they said, uh, he said, hey, can I get a test? And they were like, no, because you didn't come into contact with anyone with COVID-19. He's like, wait a minute, my son just dropped, died, dropped dead. So I think that um, the numbers are, low i think that the deaths are the are the numbers to look at right now and there's been about a thousand and the deaths are increasing but i think you're going to see the deaths increase for the next two weeks or so um because there's going to be a lag about 14 because it takes 14 days to work through your system but i, I don't think we're really going to know the whole toll of this until you know six months down the road and um i don't think we can really trust the numbers right now at all 
and I, they're not actually even testing everyone who passes away. There, there's some senior citizens uh, that I know who, who almost certainly died from COVID-19 and uh, they, they didn't get counted because, uh, you know, they, they passed away and they were in their 90s. And uh, and I have a relative who's at an assisted living place and it, it, it seems like uh, half half the people in the nursing homes, assisted living places have have COVID-19, uh, but the numbers, well, if you can even get numbers, it's just a mess. Well, I think you brought up a great point. You can't get the numbers. And that's, that's really, uh, we had a story about that on bridgemi.com yesterday is that, you know, Michigan is not known for its transparency. It's consistently rated one of the least transparent states in terms of government. Um, and, um, you know, there, there have been several outbreaks and the state knows of outbreaks um, in nursing homes, but they are not uh, making that information public, unlike most other states, um, because they fear it would cause undue stress on the nursing homes. Um, and so this this pandemic is really shedding, and also that follows Michigan not doing a great job with releasing data on, um, for instance, the number of people who are on ventilators with COVID-19, the number of people in the ICU on COVID-19, and most importantly, the number of people who recovered from the hospital with COVID-19. And so this pandemic, among many other things, is also shedding light on some really um, poor instances of transparency within Michigan, Michigan government that Kevin, you and I and every other journalist who's worked uh, in Michigan for a long time has known is, is just is really bad state for information. And I yeah, so typically when you can't find something out, you'd file a Freedom of Information Act and uh, they would uh, come up with some reason why, uh, you know, why they can't uh, fulfill your request. Um, in this case, they're, they're saying privacy is the, is the, the issue, I believe. Um, but they're also, we're, we're not even uh, answering FOIA requests anymore. That That's not essential now, right? Right, not. That's Governor Whitmer sent an executive order saying that people could basically... Uh, uh, delay Freedom of Information Act requests until June. Now, there's some particulars with that. Um, that is uh, about Electra. If it's if you have to go into the office to get them, but you know, let's be frank. You and me both know that if you give a Michigan official a, a millimeter on an exemption with FOIA, they're going to take a mile and a half. So, no, yeah, basically, information is going to be grinding to a halt until. June, and at that point, they're going to declare a 10-day expansion, and so we're looking at July. How do you think, uh, Joel, the governor's doing, and what's your opinion on how high up the VP list she is uh, for uh, uh, on Biden's VP list? Um, I think, you know, I think she, in, in general, she's gotten pretty good marks. Um, I think that um, she's passed the crisis test, for sure. I think, um, you know, she's been um, she's done a, a fine job. I think Governor Mike DeWine in Ohio and uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, to be frank, have really set the bar for, for governors. They've been the ones who are on the, the vanguard. If you look at uh, Whitmer's orders, she's usually a day or two behind DeWine. A lot um, of copycat going on. I saw that. Bit, I, agree yeah. with that. I think, um, and I think it's been interesting. There's been some suggestion as well that Michigan's, um, cases, if you look at how uh, the coronavirus came to Michigan and Illinois and Ohio and Wisconsin at roughly the same time, um, Whitmer waited a couple more days to declare a uh, stay-at-home order and to close the restaurants. And there's been a lot of suggestions that those first few days have been um, were, were pretty crucial. And 
you're seeing instances of, of parties and whatnot in, around the uh, first weekend in March where that led to outbreaks um, in, in Michigan. And there's some suggestion that um, she was allowed the business community to carve out too many exemptions the first go around. And now you're seeing um, sort of a correction of that, which is causing a lot of the antipathy. And as far as the VP race, you know, who knows? It's so far off the path. Usually uh, people who are, um, you know, Biden has said she's, she's on the short list, but usually people who are mentioned at this point uh, don't end up becoming the VP choice. Kevin, what do so, you think? Uh, I don't think she's going to be the VP. I think uh, the Democrats feel pretty comfortable that they'll win Michigan uh, without having to bring in a VP. I think they're more worried about uh, Wisconsin or uh, one of the other states that's that's closer. Um, but we'll we'll see. Um, she's certainly getting a lot of national attention. She's on all the Sunday talk shows and uh, uh, getting a lot of attention. I was wondering, Joel, and, and I don't know if you have any numbers on, on this kind of thing, but but so like. Did New Orleans um, do stay at home uh, later as well with Michigan? And some people haven't done any stay stay at home yet, and they still don't have the numbers Michigan has. Oh, right, I right. wrap my head around what's going on with Michigan. Why it's so bad? You know, it's 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 you know, it started. It's clearly it's, it was hit hardest in Detroit, and it's become a very uh, you know, it's it's augmented a lot, pointed to a lot of racial issues in in medicine and. So I, I guess the sort of the legacy of segregation in much of Michigan and elsewhere. It, it, Detroit and Wayne County count for half the cases. We would look a lot more like Wisconsin if you took out um, if you took out Detroit and uh, Wayne County. And forty percent of the deaths are African Americans in Michigan. And considering that a high number of the deaths are never counted in terms of their race, there's a, some suggestion that it, it could be half as many. So I think Michigan doesn't look like Wisconsin primarily because of it, it's it's decimating the African American community. And we don't really know why yet. Is it part of health conditions? Uh, people have pointed to um, to uh, urban density. I'm not quite sure that that that's a great answer. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of back of the napkin stuff, but mostly I think people feel like um, with anything in in America that if there's a social ill, it's, it will hit African Americans harder, and it could be a legacy of you know institutional racism, uh, discrepancies in healthcare. Um, I think that there's a there's a feeling among doctors that you're starting to see that um, outcomes of COVID-19 are far worse um, if you're obese, um, have heart conditions, or diabetic. And I think that um, all smokers. three of those are, are higher rates. <laughs> They're saying smokers, too, are having a harder time with this. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine if you're a smoker what how that would be. But we're, what did you guys think about the uh, task force that was set up to study this? I mean, I thought that was pretty in the middle of a crisis to say we're going to set up a task force to study why the African-Americans are dying at such a higher rate. I, I, I've never seen that in the middle of a shitstorm that 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 that's time Can to start shit here. <laughs> Great. That? I didn't know we could say shit here. It's fantastic. Oh, oh there's there's a lot of shit. Yeah, here. <laughs> 
This would have been a whole different interview a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I got time. Look, it's something she. It's something governors do in crises to acknowledge um, what people are saying. But I mean, what the hell? What's going to come out of a task? What's ever come out of a task force? I wouldn't. If I was, if I was at the executive headline. Yeah. I agree with you. I wouldn't be taking uh, time at this point. I mean, I guess you're right. It's a headline. It's it's probably not going to get much uh, much steam. Let's talk about. And I know that just like the VP question, there's not a whole bunch. It's not a great answer to what I'm about to ask you, but I'm just curious your opinion because I saw some headlines in in a couple of the papers this morning about, you know, what this, how this is going to reshape the election this year, and nobody knows, but. I just want your guys' opinion who, who've been covering elections. I've never, I'm not a journalist. I haven't been covered any of them. But, you know, I can't tell which way this thing, if it's helping our president, if it's hurting our president. Some polls say it is. Some polls say it isn't. Um, some polls say his, his uh, noon TV stuff is hurting. Some say it's helping. What do you guys make of it all? It was amazing that every conversation before COVID hit was about the election and about politics. It's all anyone could talk about. And it, it just completely like dropped off the face of the planet, which which is amazing. I mean, you barely heard that Bernie Sanders dropped out yesterday. I mean, it's been it's been so amazingly quiet. And then uh, Republicans will say, yeah, they're trying to hide uh, Joe Biden so he won't make so many mistakes uh, when he's live. And then, the you know, the, the Democrats will will say, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trump is hogging the airwaves to try and get elected or whatever. But but you almost hear nothing about the election. And I don't even know how they're going to. Are, are we going to be able to go vote? Is it going to be all right in? Is it going to be uh, these people are trying to get their signatures? Did you see the lawsuits that have been filed? Right. in Michigan? Right. Like I think enough signatures, and so they can't even get on the ballot, and they're they're begging people to do write-in signatures. I mean, it's it's definitely having an impact. We had a, we had a story about a guy who was collecting signatures, and he had like a selfie pole that <laughs> had to sign from afar. You know, I learned a long time ago. I can't don't ever try to make predictions about Donald Trump. I mean, you're you're just going to end up being wrong. I think a lot of this is going to depend on on whether uh, how bad it hits. Um, if you see 200, 300,000 deaths, I think it could definitely hurt. If this um, seems like it's going to be uh, less of an impact for America and fewer deaths, he could be okay. He, it may not hurt. I think people tend to come together as a country um, during, during times of crisis, and there's more of a willingness to give the president a break on things. But, you know, who knows? I, 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 it's really hard to tell. And don't forget, too, I mean, he beat the most hated um, nominee in 100 years by only 100,000 votes in three states. So, you know, Biden, theoretically, all he has to do is swing 10,000 votes in Michigan, 40,000 in Wisconsin, and 50,000 in Pennsylvania. But... The Democrats have a pretty good um, track record of screwing things up on their own. So I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about this uh, malaria drug. Uh, it, I, I don't understand why it, it didn't get flooded into cities, hot zones as quickly as possible. I, I believe it's now here in Detroit, right, and, and, and being, being tested? Yeah. Yes. They're using it in, in, some, in some areas. There was, you know, medicine 
it depends on the doctor a lot. I know that they're using it at Beaumont. They're using it a little bit more at DMC. I think that doctors tend to be, uh, some of the times they tend to be conservative and they tend to be, um, you know, want, they're not real keen on experimenting with people. But the, I, I've talked to doctors who've said that everything that they knew, you thought that they knew about treating a, um, a, a pulmonary virus has been turned on its head with, with this COVID-19 that even in terms of where they position people in when they're intubating them and whether or not they're supposed to be on their backs or on their fronts, whether or not they're supposed to push liquids. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. We had the state representative from uh, Detroit who thanked Trump, in fact, for, for using, for recommending this drug. And, um, but a lot of doctors still are, are reluctant to use it. And I think just think it's this this is just a bug that people are is still really confounding folks. But I you know, Whitmer did get uh, criticized pretty heavily for initially um, signing an order that was intended to pre prevent hoarding of this drug, but that a lot of people interpret it as uh, the state saying uh, if if the pre uh, pharmacists prescribe this that they should turn call the police basically. Um there's just so many unknowns, you know, and it's it's so hard to keep on top of all this stuff. But it seems like it's shown some early encouragement. And it could just be anecdotal. Well, yeah, I, I, it'll be fun to see if uh, Trump actually owns uh, or invested in the stock. You got to think he did. <laughs> that would be a fun headline. Um, yeah. I talked to an ER doc this week who said, I said, when are you giving it? And he said, when there's nothing else to lose right before they go on a ventilator. Right. That was his answer. Um, you know, he says, you don't want to go on a ventilator. He says one in five patients are coming off the ventilators at his hospital. He also said something interesting that I found interesting was that the ERs are quiet right now. And they're all COVID-19 patients. They're not the heart attacks. They're not the sore backs. They're not the other sicknesses that show up in the ERs right now. He said the patients are much, much sicker in his ER, uh -huh. um, but they're not as many. They have lots of beds open. Um, they're not swamped. He usually has 100 patients on a, on a given Saturday night. He had 26, but all 26 were in bad, bad shape. I just, you know, people, where are the heart attacks? You know, that's a fascinating question. <laughs> And I think that's what's gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to I mean, for one, I would have to basically be like in need of a tourniquet to go to an ER right now. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's Russian roulette. Um, but you're right, there's no well there's clearly there's no car accidents because no one's on the road. Hard hard remind me. <laughs> just kidding. That's a, that's a touchy kidding. subject for Mike, Joel. No, I'm happy there's no car accidents. Who wants people to be in pain and in Right. I forgot who I was talking to. Um, <laughs> right. But it does, you know, I mean, what's going to really be interesting is Michigan normally has 8,000 deaths a, year, a, a month, right? There, it's a state that's pretty flat population. So roughly 100,000 people are born each year and 100,000 people die each year. So so far we've, with COVID, we've had a death, 100,000 um, deaths. I'm sorry, 1,000 deaths. But it, you raise a great point. Is how many heart attacks haven't we had? How many car accidents haven't we had? And if at the end of the day, it turns out that there's still roughly the same number of deaths, there's going to be some questions. I'm sure that people are going to be saying, like, is, is this worth it? 
you know, did we drive the economy over the cliff to save people who are just dying in different ways? Well, I, Joel Kahn, who's a friend of ours, a friend of the show, um, has shared some articles and, you know, heart attacks, you know, one, one of the reasons was that there is less stress. People are doing less stressful things. Right. And it is, you know, it's, you know, people are saying it's better for the environment right now. And it's, um, you know, people aren't rushing to the hospitals for, for silly things. Um, it'll be interesting in a year to look back. Hopefully we'll be way past this in a year. Right. Right. Those, um, to see those things. I, I didn't know that I don't think I've ever looked at the statistics that 8,000 people die a month, but the fact that we've lost just over a thousand people here in Michigan, you're right, Joel. What, what if, what if, um, other people aren't dying because they're home because of less other issues of people aren't in cars, people aren't on bike accidents, people aren't riding their motorcycles as much that it'll be what, what the net net is at the end of this will be very fascinating. It will be. And I think it's going to be like, you know, obviously, when this is all over, there's going to be a big battle for the narrative. And it's like, was it, did we, it's, I keep thinking a little bit about Y2K. Everyone always says Y2K was a, was a big lot of hype over nothing. But if you talk to computer programmers, they say that Y2K was this, it was a triumph because they spent two years uh, debugging all these computers so that there wasn't a disaster. So if at the end of this, 3,000 people die in Michigan or 2,000 people die in Michigan, but it could, it could have been 20,000, it's who controls that narrative, I think, is going to be really uh, telling. They've talked about uh, the shutdown being part of uh, slowing down the curve and slowing down the spread and that the hospital systems would just become completely overrun with all these patients coming in. But I wonder if there wasn't another way to problem solve some of that by just saying, hey, we're sending patients to every hospital in the state or out of the state, all over the country, wherever we can to, to, to relieve the stress on certain hospital systems. I mean, it seems to me like a lot of the shutdown was because they were worried everyone would end up at the hospital at the same time. Right. And I know you've done some stories on the hospitals. It's been chaos there at times, but it just seems there might've been some other solutions. Well, yeah, I do definitely think that one takeaway is going to be this. One lesson should be that, I mean, there, there was not great, this was all ad hoc planning and this was decision-making done by the seat of the pants. And clearly the policymakers need to, need to really rethink their, their pandemic approach. Um, you know, Southeast Michigan is blessed with a great network of, of huge hospital beds. But if this is, if this had started in, in Flint, um, you know, uh, it would have been, a, it would have been a different story. Um, but I think you're right. I, I just don't, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, when we started doing this, I was, I was shocked to know that the state of Michigan is, which is pretty average in terms of hospital beds, has 10 million people, only 25,000 beds. Um, and you know, most of them aren't, aren't full, but you know, the other side of this is that, I mean, this is, this is also probably going to drive hospitals out of business. Um, you know, they make their money off, off births and elective surgeries, and none of that's happening right now. Well, you can't stop the births. <laughs> They're still happening. In nine months, we'll see a big spike. Births I have friends. We, we have friends getting ready to give birth, and they're trying to figure out a midwife situation. <clears throat> they do not want to go to the hospitals. <laughs> no. They do not want to go. That worries me a little bit. 
I talked to some medical supply uh, business guys uh, and and they feel like they're going to be okay. That once this uh, passes and things get back to normal, people will pretty quickly line up to get those elective surgeries again, to get their shoulders done or their knees done. Uh, um, that, 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 that business will come back and, and hospitals will look similar to how they did before. Yeah, it, it's it's going to depend on yeah for sure how long this lasts and, and you know we've seen these unemployment numbers which are crazy which are about eight hundred thousand people so far and you know how many of those jobs come back I think will be will be interesting I think Beaumont just said that they're running a hundred million dollar deficit now because of this though hundred million or ten million back huge, huge number I didn't I didn't hear that that's I think that's that was yeah. Wall Street Journal today. Yeah, their CEO has really been out there pushing what a financial uh, crisis uh, right. uh, this is going to be. Uh, it's been, that's what you about that, Mike. Are you are you are you shedding crocodile tears for the hospitals? Are they poor? I, I don't have any hate for the hospitals. Who the, the 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 ones I hate are the auto insurance companies, and they are going to make billions of dollars on this, and just. Recently, in the last day or two, they're starting to give some rollbacks of 10, 15 percent, right. which is such nonsense. They should be rolling back 85 percent, 75 percent. They should be forgiving premiums for two, three months during this crisis. No, barely. People are barely driving. And Absolutely. when they're driving, they're driving. They're either essential workers or they're driving to get food or to feed a pet or take care of an elderly parent. They sh they will still make billions if they forgive March, April, May. And yet they're rolling back 15%. And some of what I'm reading is that they're giving a credit to future premiums, which is such bullshit. Yeah, that's that's not even like, that's just, that's not even, uh, that's nothing. Right. State Farm was one of the, the last to say they're going to do something. And they're one of the worst insurance companies out there. So, but they're going to make billions, and this is going to—they're going to use this as a retention mechanism to keep clients and keep policyholders happy. Yet, why? Why should we pay them anything right now when we're not driving? We're not allowed to drive, so they should be more innovative. The rollback should be more 60, 70, 80 percent, not 15 percent. Yeah. I'm advising people to call. I've had a dozen people call after reading a Facebook post I put out there. They called and they said, okay, we will give you this discount. They're not doing it for everybody. So if you're watching this, call your insurance companies, ask for the discount, ask for rate reductions, ask, you know, I, I've heard companies are letting you not pay for a couple months, but then you have to pay in full. Again, bullshit. They should be giving it to you for free. And if you don't like what your insurance company is telling you, call around. If you have State Farm, call around and I think you'll do better. I think you'll save money. If you have more than one car, Joel, if you and your family have two, three, yeah. four cars and you guys are sharing a car right now, think about garaging the other vehicles. Uh, ask uh, if we only drive five miles a week, 10 miles a week, what can you do for us? So you got to be a little creative and, and cause they're not going to call you to no. save you money. You need to be proactive and call them. We have we have a family of five. I'm a family of five here, and we have five cars. And uh, we have not gotten gas in in um, in six weeks. No. I mean, we've not we've not driven twenty miles with you know. We and, and the one car that goes out is the one that's parked uh, you know conveniently. So we've, we've used one car and uh, and have gone. Kevin, about 
20 go miles. down to one, just insure one of them. Right, right. And be honest with your agent. Call them, tell them what's happening. They may put it onto a garage status, which is like five or 10 for vandalism or theft, which is right. not a lot. So I would at least call and ask. And yeah, uh, yeah that's a great idea. I mean, that's people aren't thinking like that, but they but they should. And, you know, they're probably not going to get any more discounts than the 10 or 15 percent, but they should. I only move mine out of the driveway to play basketball. <laughs> that, that shouldn't count. Right. So make your call. We get off this uh, interview, Joel. Will do. Yeah. So, so what, is, Joe, what you... is Bridge? What is Bridge working on these days? Uh, what's the next big story to come out? Well, we're starting to peek, peek around the corner at what's going to happen. We've done a lot of work on the racial disparities of this. We're, we've been embedded in a couple hospitals. We have some reporters who are trying to tell the story from the outside in at Henry Ford and at the Detroit Medical Center. Um, we're working in collaboration with the Detroit Free Press about that with on that story. Um, we are working a lot on looking at what's going to happen um, what life's going to look like once this is all over, how things are going to change. We've done a lot on the schools. Um, yeah, what are they going to do with the schools? What Are they going to have to know, you know, my kids and, uh, about it? They are, you know, West Bloomfield is, they're acting like it's the, you know, there's still seven hours of, of work a day. It's driving my wife nuts. Um, other places don't do anything. Um, and it's basically all on the honor system. Um, and so, yeah, that's, a, that's what we're working on. My, my college bills are still pouring in and I'm not really thinking they're getting the education. What's that? Colleges aren't refunding anybody. Uh, well, I, maybe I got to call and ask them too. I uh, maybe for dorm rooms, but not for classes. Put it on garage status. Right. <laughs> Their education is in garage status, I'm afraid. <laughs> so my daughter uh, was in uh, Australia to do her junior year, second semester in Australia. They we, we had to pull her home. They canceled it. So we brought her home. These abroad pro programs are not cheap. Right. And she is doing online courses to Melbourne, Australia. And I am paying full boat oh, for man. that. She's here in Michigan. Oh, she's watching classes in Australia. I'm paying whatever the heck I'm paying. <laughs> that and is crazy. It's watching it's tourism little, videos. It's a little <laughs> ridiculous. Watch um, <laughs> uh, hopefully they'll fix. I mean, listen, hopefully it they'll is. be back to normal by September. If this isn't back, to, I mean, universities are going to take a massive hit if this isn't ready by uh, November. So this isn't, I don't think this is hurting them yet. I can't because Everybody I know with college age kids, they're still paying the bills. Right. But this summer, if, if the universities say we're not opening, I, I don't think parents are going to be sending in those tuition bills so quickly. Right. I think it'll make people rethink how they do college completely. I mean, my kids are on the tail end of college, but if they were on the front end, I, I would be thinking about, uh, you know, the first couple of years at home uh, and then maybe a year or two to go get the experience. It's expensive. It is really expensive. And to see that they're able to uh, do this online and, and you think about the, you know, the cost to send kids, uh, I, I think people will rethink how they do, how they do college. This could be tough. Well, Joel, here I don't know if you've written a story about this yet, but I have some friends whose kids go to private school. My kids go to public school. 
and the disparity of what's happening. You mentioned West Bloomfield. You know, the difference between local uh, school districts and, and my friends at, who have kids at private school, the private school kids are completely video. They're working online live lectures from 8.30, 9am till 3pm. The kids are engaged. The kids are still working. They're getting their money's worth. Most public school kids I know, not oh, so much. No, yeah, no, we've done we've done a lot and we're, we're going to do more. Uh, there is a huge disparity on what's going on. I mean, Detroit basically threw in the towel in the first couple of weeks just saying we're not going to do it. Obviously, internet connection is, is an issue in throughout the state. Um, but, you know, some, some districts are really rallying around this. I think West Bloomfield's done a, done a, done a really credible job to my nine-year-old son thinking uh, far too good of a job. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they're still getting tested and, and still getting graded and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think this is pointing out a lot of disparities, both in terms of health, in terms of economics. Um, yeah, and it is just like what Kevin said. It's, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, this could restructure society in a lot of ways. It's not just the, the education and driving and, it's really interesting. You know, for a lot of parents out there, and Joel, if you do do something on this, I would love you to send it to me, and I, I will be following your 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 uh, website when we get off of this. Um, but, you know, I think as I'm seeing with the auto premiums, some peer pressure is helping. I want yeah. some of these other districts to be more like West Bloomfield and have my kids have a structure and not an optional thing and not check out your Zoom assignment and email it in. There are right. no lectures. And where I live, there are no lectures happening. There are no, no videotapes happening. There's no teacher standing up in fifth, for 15 minutes and giving a math lesson. I don't know why that's not happening. Um, and I do hear from all these districts that they are giving out free devices to people who can't afford it. I understand that. But they have, they have resources uh, to do that, a lot of these districts. And I'd like to see what West Bloomfield's doing compared to Clarkston, compared to Oak Park compared to Berkeley, I would like that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, not, we, yeah that's a good. I mean, we we do have sort of a statewide focus, but I think that's a great point, and we should definitely kind of keep that in mind. I know uh, Ron French is our education reporter, and he's he's really led the way with a lot of the coverage. But it, it does seem like most of it is not uh, extremely rigorous. I know we, he talked to some teachers recently, and they said that. Uh, you know, if 60 to 70 percent of their kids participate in, in the uh, enrichment activities, it, they're, they're doing pretty well. And I don't think it, it helped either when the state came out and said that you're all going to graduate. And um, regardless, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry about it. I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to. <laughs> no, I, listen, I have I have a, I have a 12 year old uh, who is not very interested. She thinks this is a big, long snow day. Right. She right. And uh, and her district and our district, unfortunately, is is is, you know, not as uh, progressive, it sounds like, as uh, West Bloomfield. It's certainly not as progressive as these, um, you know, private schools, which I guess they have to be because you're paying a lot of money. Um, so they have to figure out something if they want their premiums, you know, or premiums or if they want their tuition. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, I think I mean, that, they didn't, they certainly didn't, they're not, these bigger districts are not able to pivot very well. That's clearly what, what, we, what we've, what we found out. 
you hear about uh, everybody having crisis plans, especially after like 9-11 and all these different plans that were being developed for all of these different things. But it seems like almost in every sector, there really was no plan for this at all. I, you know, I, I, as we talk about each one, it seems like nobody was prepared in the least for this. And I mean, I, I think about the, the, the poor like prisoners, uh, people coming into, into prison, people being released from prison. Uh, they, they come in, catch some COVID, head back out, uh, take it into the community. And how are, and, 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 and you hear stories, I know you do from, from people who are locked up, just regular medical oh, yeah. care in prisons. Can you, can you imagine uh, having COVID in, in, in prison? I mean, the, uh, I, and I know you guys will do reports on it to, to, to find out what is happening, what was happening through this. But it, I mean, we clearly need to work on crisis planning when we come out of this. For sure. I think that's, you know, I think I don't think there was any plan. And I, I think in some ways it's, it's a tough thing to plan for, especially, you know, in a, uh, in, in a decade of, of relative austerity, it's hard to, to really change plans on a, on what seems like it's going to be a uh, once every hundred year event. Um, and it's, it's like anything else in Michigan that, that a lot of delayed maintenance, you know, the infrastructure is is behind in, in education. It's behind in in sewers. It's behind in wastewater. It's behind on roads. So with all those other problems, I think uh, planning and putting away money for a plan on what most people thought was going to be a really remote possibility anyway uh, probably wasn't going to be very palpable. I mean, we couldn't. We can't even fix the damn roads. How are we going to plan for a pandemic? Why they aren't they could fix them now? Could fix them now. Be easy. <laughs> well, that have to put up with another inconsistency with the stay-at-home order. I mean, I think Michigan is only one of like five states that that construction projects are put on hold. Too there's a, there seems like there's some areas where they could get back and and actually do stuff, especially yeah, with, think about, with the think about, how, all the time. think about how much money they could save on orange cones right now. Uh, you, you probably didn't have to put any up. It, it's crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, maybe, you know, listen, when, when things bad like this happens, hopefully they will start planning. Hopefully they'll put a, a plan in place for the next fire, for the next pandemic, for the next virus that comes. Because, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of businesses, a lot of law firms, a lot of pe people were not ready for, for a shakeup like this. Um, and, I think, I think, I mean, I think it's a lesson and I think things will change. For sure. We hope so. Well, Joel, listen, thank you for taking time out of your day and, and getting dressed for us and not putting on. Yeah, well, I'm, sure. like, I'm sure. I, I, what, <laughs> kind of, what kind of pajama bottoms are you wearing today? I'm just wearing ripped jeans right now, actually. <laughs> my, yeah. Somebody said to us, no, nobody quarantines in jeans. So, you know, that's why right. the sweatsuits, uh, well, uh, I, I I've been wearing the same clothes for two days, though. So <laughs> today was a big well, day for me. Shave. <laughs> I shaved too. It was an yeah. excuse to shave. Nice. Well, thanks for being here. Very interesting. Very fascinating. Hope to have you back on when things calm Absolutely. down. Absolutely, I appreciate here. it. And uh, yep. we'll put your contact information in the show notes so people could check out uh, bridgemi.com oh. and uh, look forward to reading your stuff. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great quarantine. Thank you. You too. Thank you. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, 
Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic with me and Kevin Dietz. And we had Joel Kurth on today who talked all things politics and COVID-19. And we had a really interesting conversation. If you like the conversation, please share it with friends, subscribe to our channel, and stay tuned for some more episodes. Thanks for listening or watching.